Hello, everybody. This is Christine from Syntropic World. Uh, thank you for joining us for this recording of the Alumni Plus Open Call, which we hold every month, alternating between the mornings and the evenings Australian time so that we can cover the United States and Europe time zones. The format is really simple. We have, uh, I present one model from the Syntropic World. Uh, and, and then we have a special guest that uh, um, we ideally like to provoke thinking and explore different ways of being in the world. And then we have a Centropic alumni from the Masterclass present their business case, which uh, enables us to have a very wonderful, fast-moving hour where you can get a bite-sized piece of the work that we're doing at Centropic World. The next um, alumni call is August, August 20 and um, will feature Tyson Younger-Porter, who uh, is the author of Sand Talk. And when I read the book, it was one of the most exciting books that I had experienced on Indigenous wisdom and, uh, and so I'm just beyond excited that he's going to be joining us. And also we have our alumni, Sarah Scott, who has been a, a very active environmentalist and uh, a participant in regenerating the Tanzanian forest ecosystem and creating ecologies where people can really get back in touch with what really matters at the earth and, and land level. So Sarah will be joining us as well. If you're interested in uh, attending any of these Alumni Plus open calls, just go to the website centropic.world and you'll be able to see a place there to sign up. They're there at no charge, and you, but you need to register if you want to get the recording. Thank you for being here. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Syntropy is um, the opposite of entropy. And uh, Bucky Fuller, who is my teacher of some 30-something years, uh, was very clear that our opinion of science, um, that we are in a syntropic universe. In other words, we are in an eternally regenerative universe. Uh, and um, so syntropy in you know, shorthand literally means to leave everything better uh, to, towards a higher order. And um, my passion and love is about how to bring humans together to create the future. And so if we're going to do that, uh, then uh, I believe that we really need to rethink the way that we do everything pretty much. So from governance to legal, to, to finance, to currency flows, to um, how we honor value, to how we coordinate humans and et cetera, et cetera. And so, Centropic enterprises are enterprises that are, are very creating a world with a future, bringing humans together to create products and services for a world with a future. And um, we coined the, the, the phrase centropic enterprise because we wanted to distinguish between business as usual. And the ambition of centropic world is that uh, at some stage in the near future, centropic enterprise as, um, as a name will be uh, common common terminology. So that's kind of like the high level overview. And uh, we've got a growing global community of practice, um, which has just been a remarkable experience um, through this, particularly through this COVID crisis uh, and, um, and people who are really committed to creating enterprise for a world with a future. 
So that's the short end and my little piece, and I'll keep this right on time. Um, I'm just going to speak at a high level of one of the models that is uh, intrinsic to what we do. And then I'm going to hand over to Edward, who will be speaking about um, what he's doing with EarthBank, which is um, a, a really powerful response uh, to a world with a future, in my opinion. So, um, but anyway, I'm going to start with integrity. And this is a very different way of looking at integrity uh, than most of us are familiar with. Um, one of the things that Saki did was he was um, a model maker. And the experience I had of integrity um, occurred to me when I first uh, held a tetrahedron in my hand. Because um, the word integrity uh, is from integer, meaning one or wholeness. And so it, what integrity means is that we hold our shape. We hold our shape. And from a structural point of view, um, that means that um, we're not going to collapse or explode. And so to hold your shape in integrity requires that we have polarity built into the system. So let me just, if, I, if you can imagine that that is a cell membrane. Um, and any cell membrane for it to be viable has to have a positive and a negative charge. You know, it actually occurs all the way around the cell membrane, but I'm simplifying this. It's a positive and a negative charge. If you can imagine if there is too much of one, so let's just say there is too much positive, then we're either going to have an implosion or an explosion. And if there's too much of the other, we're going to have implosion or explosion. It requires the tension to hold its shape. Yes, it, that it has to be built into the system. So if we look at our current world and we go, uh, we've got a politics that is uh, very much on the, on the monoculture side, everything about profit, everything about privatization, deregulation, all of that sort of thing, and is completely excluding the social net, social safety, social medicine, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that, that is, a, a, is a, a design feature that shows that the positive and negative charges have been weighted more on one side than the other. And unless we're, we're not actually um, living in this universe completely, we can feel that there is some form of collapse or explosion or simultaneously collapse and explosion that is potential in this current environment. Uh, and so when we're designing integrity into enterprise, we need to look at the whole uh, and consider all of the parts that are, that have integrity seated within them in order to create that. But it also means that we need to design polarity into the system as a natural response versus a we want it to be and this is where it comes into the beautiful dance of diversity and uh um and different uh, different worldviews and and different opinions and different you know all the differences that we want um, because that actually ensures that the system is going to hold its shape the other part of integrity that is really important to, um, to look at is our own integrity um, as humans, of course, you know, you could say, let's start there. <laughs> and, uh, and so if we go back to the, um, 
one of the other features that we teach in Centropic, um, in Centropic Enterprise is that uh, a, any human, any idea that is going to be manifest, so whether that's a, a human, a, a business idea, anything that is going to become manifest has its own pattern integrity already intrinsic at the inception of that idea. So if you have a brilliant idea to do something, within that idea already lives its pattern integrity of that idea. And so any of you that know um, children or have been parents or um, have um, watched other children, you know that each child has this unique pattern integrity, this unique identity of expression. And our role is to become stewards of that as we bring that pattern integrity uh, into existence because it requires humans to come together to have that come into existence. Because the idea or the child is not going to flourish unless it has that human um, created ecology that brings that into existence. And so um, for ourselves, we get to live in the world and, and against the odds because of you know various how we're brought up, how the whole cultural milieu and, and so on and so forth. Um, but I'm, I'm sure each of you have has a recognition or awareness that you do actually have unique pattern integrity, a unique integrity um, that makes you intrinsically valuable, even in a sea of however many billions there are now people, but makes you uniquely intrinsically valuable. How do you create the ecology and the design in your life to allow that to come through and to allow that integrity to be really present uh, in, in the way that you live your life? That's a life's work, or it might be several lifetimes, but it's at least, it's at least a life's work. And, uh, and yet when we, when we come across uh, somebody who is fully engaged in their pattern integrity and is in their element in that pattern integrity, there is an incredible beauty and an incredible um, attract, attractive force to that experience. It doesn't have to be bold or big or loud or any of that. It can be, you know, just a complete stand of being in your own integrity. And I'm pretty sure you people know what I'm, I'm referring to here, and you may have had some taste of it. And so um, what we do within um, Centropic World is where, you know, we're really constantly tuning into what is the emergence of the pattern integrity and checking what is not it. But at the same time, what's important is if you have this beautiful idea that you're bringing to life, as a, as a company or an enterprise, um, and it has its own integrity. And if there is an overlay of something that is, is dissonant to that integrity, and so that could be a, a model or a system that is dissonant to that integrity, then it's going to be really hard to bring this through that because the almost like the gravitational pull um, is, is going to um, tend to keep it from actually flourishing. But at the same time, uh, and, and then simultaneously, because what we're doing in, centropic, um, in the Centropic Enterprise sort of model is 
uh, building new models, new maps and new mindsets for a world with a future against a system that is designed to do everything that is happening that we're experiencing right now. It's very easy, and this is why I'm so delighted to have Edward here, it's very easy that um, for, you know, we want to bring this idea to life and someone comes along and offers us, um, you know, let's say finance that has embedded in it the predatory impulses that are not in alignment and coherence with the integrity of what we're birthing. Uh, and I'm not here to judge that because there's a, a, a gazillion reasons why um, that can happen. But as stewards of the idea, if we do want to seriously create a world with a future, part of our responsibility to be in integrity with that idea is to stay in the tension between what is emerging and the old and what is emerging from the new and to hold the space, the shape of what you're holding until a potential for something else comes along that will keep your idea in integrity. That sounds kind of mystical, but it's like um, when we're creating new pathways, we don't have the maps and we don't have the, it just doesn't suddenly, you know, we don't have these things. And so to stay in the tension of how can I do this that doesn't invite predatory capitalism or, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the ownership model that says, no, you can't do this, even though it's what you're trying to birth in the first place or any of those pieces, how do you stay in that tension? so that you can be in integrity as the steward of the idea that you're birthing. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Any questions on that? We've got a couple of minutes for questions and then I'm going to hand over to Edward. Any questions on that particular piece? Yeah. Don't be shy. <laughs> it is. It's. It's a. It's a. Um. One of the one of the uh, uh, principles that I learned through the work of Hannah Arendt, who is um, I don't know whether you've come across her work. She was. Um, she wrote a piece called Eichmann in Jerusalem. Um, she, um, she did a lot of re research around the banality of evil, and uh, uh, she talked about little atrocities. And little atrocities are those micro, micro, micro agreements that we make essentially with the devil. It's very easy to make the first one because it doesn't feel that bad because it's tiny. So her sort of thesis was that evil didn't happen with one fell swoop. It happened through um, a sequence of little atrocities that were easy to say yes to. And then suddenly we find ourselves doing really evil things and the evil things, whether that's to other humans or to the environment or to the, the future of our children, it doesn't happen overnight. It's little micro agreements. So what that means from an integrity point of view is that when we see someone or ourselves stepping into a little atrocity, that's the point. That's the critical point of saying, no, this is, we need to do something else. 
because what we have now is a world, for example, where lies is business as usual in our political landscape. It's just the way things happen. But we have to, we have to recognise that we're complicit to a degree in having that happen as citizens because the first lie was the greatest perpetration. And it's the same with ourselves. The first lie is our greatest per perpetration. And so the path of integrity is to, is to come back to um, really tuning into that, that um, coherence and frequency that is resonant with um, um, both our expression in the world and what we're bringing into the world. Yeah? And it's not, it's, not, it's not easy. And given that it is, you know, we're, we're up against things where the integrity has gone so awry, you know, that, that, and that's one of the reasons why we need a community of people um, that are moving in this direction because it's, it's, it's a difficult journey, many obstacles, and it's fierce, and you need to be held up at those, at those juncture points where the temptation is to go, I'm, I'm going to take the easy path, even though I know that it's a violation of integrity. Any questions from that? How do we get that through to the Morrison government? Sorry? How do we get that through to the Morrison government? How do we get that through to many governments? I'm going to make yeah. this a conversation. Um, you know, I, I think that it comes down to how we live our lives as citizens and, and um, becoming active. You know, I, I literally think that, that the only way we're going to change this is is, and that's part of what we're doing in um, Centropic World is building new models that make the existing obsolete. And then, you know, as getting as many of them as possible, argue with the model. Don't argue with me, the human, argue with the model. So I wanna see a million Centropic enterprises in the world. Um, and anyone who doesn't know that the title itself is um, in the Creative Commons. So everyone is free to use it, but we are going to make sure that you're using it in integrity. <laughs> because we, you know, we, we have to set exemplars of what is possible when humans come together and really intentionally create uh, things for a world with a future. All right, I am going to hand over to Edward. Um, thank you so much for um, being on this call. Um, it was actually triggered by Gina, who's on the call. She pointed me to Earthbank and uh, she said, do you know these guys? And I hadn't heard of, heard of what you were doing. So I'm really thrilled. Um, Edward and I spent some time together in 2011, Edward, nine years ago. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, feels, just... it's so funny, right? It feels feels like just yesterday. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you... Yeah. The, in your court now yeah thank you so thank you so much uh christine for inviting me it's a uh really uh my honor and pleasure to to get to see you again and to to um see how your work is taking shape in the world christine and i'm really happy that your audience is growing and people are being drawn to these uh ideas of centropy and figuring out how we can build a world that works for everybody um so yeah, so um, nice to meet you, everybody. Um, and uh, Christine, just quickly, what's the, how's the time work? What's, uh, what's my time as I begin? Yeah, you have 20 minutes. Um, so you 20 can minutes, talk okay. And then I'm, I'm going to, I'll keep the time check for you. 
Um, and okay. so you can have, you can talk and have some Q and A. People can ask you questions. However, feels perfect. 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 Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, I may or may not do that. We'll see. Um, so, pleasure, everybody. Nice to meet you. Um, I, 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 if I had more time, what I'd love to do is kind of get to hear a little bit from each of you to understand who you are and where you're at and where, what you care about. But uh, I think t 20 minutes isn't quite the right amount of time for that. So I'll have to just imagine all the wonderful things that you're up to based on your interest in this call. Um, so I'll just say very briefly about my myself and my journey to give a little bit of context and then I'll share a little bit about what I'm up to right now. So um, uh, my name is Edward. Uh, I live in, uh, in California and I was born and raised here and I've always been interested in building things that would somehow make, make the world better, different kinds of technology and infrastructure and things like that. And um, I first kind of really caught the bug when I was building and racing solar powered cars in college. And then uh, later went on to build uh, an electric uh, vehicle company called Mission Motors, making uh, electric motorcycles and electric powertrains for vehicle manufacturers. And what I learned uh, at Mission Motors in particular was, was really fascinating, which was that uh, as profound a, a set of technologies that we had built uh, at our company and also, you know, just collectively uh, the electric vehicle industry was stewarding at that time. And this is 2006, 2007, 2008, um, you know, before Tesla had really uh, launched and had a vehicle in the market, things like that. Um, we were all aware that the game was going to completely shift toward EVs and that, uh, that that was kind of the future of uh, vehicle transportation. But the popular culture hadn't really caught up yet for the most part. And I thought that was exciting and the perfect place to be. What was fascinating that I learned was that even with some of the best technology in the world, uh, we were unable to attract the kind of short-term interest financial capital that would have scaled us from uh, our prototypes and vehicles that we built and we're setting world records with to become a mass market company. So the, the you know, whatever it was, the 50 to $100 million round that we would have needed to raise to kind of get to that next level. People were, were very skeptical. We had built vehicles even for Harley Davidson that they were testing and are now the basis of their new electric motorcycle. Um, but uh, the finance uh, side of it was there was a lot of skepticism of that consumers would ever be interested in this, that things could ever change. And I remember being fascinated that um, for something to, that to me at the time seemed so obvious and so necessary uh, that the financial capital wasn't easy to convince, uh, made me think that the real barriers to the kinds of innovation that I felt were needed uh, actually were deeper in the stack. Um, so more deep, deeply in the financial system itself. Um, so I kind of did, uh, did my journey at Mission Motors and then uh, ultimately uh, that company was acquired by a, a 
transportation company in the UK, but not quite the level of success that we were hoping for. Uh, and I went in on to, to do some projects uh, doing community development, uh, started a community center and, uh, and a software platform to help people share uh, resources and connect and collaborate without needing money at all. And that was a company called Hilo. Uh, and so that was another kind of experiment. So I said, okay, the financial system is kind of screwed up. Uh, let me go deeper in the stack and see if I can figure out how to build the software tools to enable a gift economy at scale. Uh, and that was an interesting experiment and is now, uh, that company was purchased by a company called Holochain, which some of you might know about. Um, and, uh, and, but the next piece, uh, that I started to recognize, and it's probably similar to what a lot of you are recognizing is, uh, we don't have a lot of time. Uh, and so kind of imagining a whole new economy or imagining a gift economy or things like that, and trying to build tools and infrastructure for that started to feel too slow. And so again, dropping back into the financial system itself, um, what would be required was the question that uh, some of my team and I were grappling with, what would be required to drive billions or even trillions of dollars into uh, carbon sequestration, ecosystem restoration, uh, and uh, kind of just uh, carbon drawdown at scale using the tools of kind of hard-nosed capitalism, as well as really uh, thoughtful systemic approaches to community development. And, uh, and the way we've approached that is with this new initiative uh, called EarthBank. And, uh, and so EarthBank is, is, you can think of it to a certain extent as a, as a green digital bank. Um, so you'll be able to do things that you're familiar with, like have a checking account and a debit card and things like that. Um, but that's kind of just the, uh, the, the basic utility of it. What's really exciting about EarthBank is that at a systemic level, it's designed at every layer of the stack to, as we said, to drive billions or even trillions into renewable energy projects, carbon sequestration, reforestation, and ecosystem regeneration. Uh, and so that's the, that's the project. And I can tell you a little bit more about what it is and how it works. And um, right now you might not be aware that even though uh, you have, you know, you can't open the newspaper without seeing sort of large scale commitments from whether governments or companies to reduce their carbon or to, uh, to uh, kind of, hit certain carbon targets or things like that, there actually aren't, even though the, the sort of the generational threat of climate change is now more broadly understand, there aren't understood, there aren't actually uh, good ways to move capital into climate and regeneration at, across different scales. So on the one hand, you have these large actors, whether it's large companies, pension funds, endowments, uh, governments, et cetera, and then on the other hand, you'll have different kinds of uh, small scale projects, whether it's algae or tree planting or uh, soil, uh, soil carbon uh, intensity increases, things like that. And 
how do you actually get the capital to flow um, across those scales in the most efficient ways and not actually leave a different kind of destruction in its wake? Um, so I think it's really easy. You, you all might be aware that um, when you kind of look through a big top-down lens and try to move things at scale, you know, sometimes you'll get uh, unintended consequences that are quite negative. Um, so we've built this really interesting set of tools uh, to enable uh, not only this, these resources to flow uh, where, where they, we think they should, but uh, for communities on the ground uh, in, in some of our pilot projects in India, in Myanmar, in Costa Rica, um, in really kind of, you know, triple or quadruple bottom line ways where we're not only planting trees, not only sequestering carbon, not only protecting existing stands of uh, ancient forests, but we're also uh, helping uh, the people who are doing the planting, the people who are protecting the forest, the indigenous peoples who live in the forest to actually share the revenue uh, from the carbon projects that we're doing there. Um, and uh, we're enabling them to have different kinds of livelihoods. We're protecting uh, vulnerable coastal areas uh, from typhoons in particular in the mangrove forests that we're helping to expand. And uh, so there's a kind of across the stack, we're trying to make sure that we're doing the most good for the, the you know, people in the developed world who are contributing funds towards offsets and people in uh, some of these places uh, who are planting and protecting the trees. And uh, so that's kind of how we've been, how we've been thinking about this and approaching this. And one of the uh, really interesting uh, things that we found we can offer is uh, high yield accounts uh, for depositors. So um, through some of the partnerships we have with people in uh, indigenous folks uh, in the forests, we can allow um, people to in, have essentially a high yield savings account where they'll earn 4% uh, uh, annually on their deposited income. And we're kind of developing a carbon resource in collaboration with, uh, with the stewards of the forest and actually splitting the revenue with the, the stewards of the forest 50-50 uh, with, with Earth Bank uh, and then also uh, share to the um, to the depositor, so kind of everybody, everybody is winning in a in a picture like that. And uh, technologically speaking, some of the things that we're doing that are really interesting are to actually use uh, machine learning and satellites to monitor uh, stands of forest or new plantings uh, to reduce the cost of carbon verification. Uh, reduce the time between verification steps so we can actually verify certain kinds of things, you know, on a daily or weekly basis. Are the trees still there, et cetera? Uh, and we're able to reduce the scale of viable commercial carbon projects from 2,500 uh, acres or more down to 250 square meters uh, to enable a kind of decentralized network of smallholder farmers to uh, basically be able to engage in tree planting and sequestration activities and, and share revenue with EarthBank and EarthBank's uh, customers and depositors. Uh, 
And so um, there are a variety of projects that I could go into in, in any level of detail, uh, but um, this is the kind of thing that we're doing right now. And uh, the other thing that's really exciting for us that we're looking at is the possibility of uh, partnerships with uh, the European Central Bank to actually offer green bonds that um, will, for, for to, to kind of grossly oversimplify, will basically enable the European Central Bank to almost print money into uh, sequestration type projects. And so that, that'll be very exciting as well um, to, to start to access that kind of central bank level capital to really move resources to where they're needed most. And, um, and I think, I think that's, a, that's a kind of a, a basic overview. Um, and uh, you know, I think it's a great time to be, to be doing this kind of thing because by and large, you know, consumers are motivated to make changes. Kind of people, a lot of people kind of hate their banks. Um, and uh, we think it's a great time to be, uh, to be building a company like this. And uh, obviously we don't have a lot of time to waste to start to really transform uh, how, how we manage our carbon, how we manage our financial resources uh, to create uh, a future for, for all of us. And um, that's, I don't know, that's a quick overview. Uh, I don't know if, if anyone, if that made sense or if anyone has questions, but that's a, a starter anyway. It's a great start. I certainly have questions, but I'm going to open the floor. Anyone have questions? Just raise your hand like this so I can see you and unmute. And um, uh, yeah, go. Um, is it Kate? Um, you need to unmute. Uh, good morning, Edward. Thank you so much. Um, my hey, Kate. <laughs> my question for you is about your leadership team. Uh, yeah. Thinking about um, Christine's comments about tension, positive, negative, holding, holding the the, the team accountable and, and all of the, the, the diversity. I'm, I'm looking on your website and I can see you've got a team. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's actually a fairly international group of people, um, uh, folks with a lot of different experiences, some folks with, uh, you know, who've done time in, in kind of major banks, uh, some folks who have been kind of part of like the blockchain kind of high tech world, uh, other folks that uh, are um, li living in places like India and Nepal and other places who are doing lots of kind of uh, eco-forestry and uh, tree planting projects and things like that. So we've got a kind of a, a cross-section of folks. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, I'm not sure exactly what, what, if I'm answering your question, how do I answer your question better? Um, <laughs> Oh, well, to, to use Christine's term, who, who's the chief steward of the idea? I would say it's probably the, the CEO, Tom Duncan. Is He's really the originator of the idea. And uh, Tom's a, a dear friend of mine. And uh, he's been he's been someone who is, uh, he's, he's been writing uh, kind of academically on large scale carbon sequestration, uh, soil carbon sequestration, uh, regenerative agriculture for more than a decade. Um, and he's got a kind of academic track record there, but also a history in uh, investment banking and, uh, and 
carbon projects, uh, carbon, uh, carbon credits, carbon trading markets, things like that. So he's, he's kind of brought some of the pieces together. Um, cool. Any other questions? Gina, I'm sure you've got a question. I have a question. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about the practicalities and how people can get onto this fairly easily because it's, um, it's something that's obviously needed. And if there's any, uh, the easiest way to do that, if you could just quickly run through that, just, uh, I've been on your site and um, yeah. I just like to so, tell more people. Yeah, of course. So we're going to be doing a, uh, a kind of a soft launch, um, coming up soon. And the first product that is going to come to market basically is, um, is, is you basically pay $10 a month, uh, and we'll, uh, offset 120% of the carbon that you're emitting. Uh, and that money will go into both planting new mangrove forests, uh, as well as protecting existing forests in, uh, in Costa Rica, India, and Myanmar. And uh, the revenue from that is gonna be split with the, uh, the people uh, in, those, in those forests, in those communities. And so that's the first product. Shortly after that, um, as we get our licenses all uh, straightened away, uh, we'll be offering uh, kind of digital checking accounts. Uh, and then shortly after that, we'll be offering the high yield accounts. And so that is all coming. Uh, we're actually going to be doing um, uh, some crowdfunding campaigns, uh, probably towards middle of September, that are, are going to drive a little bit of uh, customer adoption as well as, uh, as certain kinds of, uh, capital raising. And so, yeah. just a quick, oh, sorry, just a quick one about earth folio that I've also, um, tapped into what's the difference with, uh, you and earth folio or do you know earth folio or, you know, unfortunately I'm not aware of earth folio, so I can't okay. speak to that directly. Um, but, oh, um, I, I think there are certainly a number of, of related initiatives. Uh, mm. As far as I'm concerned, Earth Bank is the most exciting one, but there are a mm. lot of exciting projects and even more than I can even track, which is, I'd say, a good thing. And so the question that I have, Edward, is what about, um, you know, is this open to, to international banking? <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously, there's a massive um, local regulations and tax and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, we're going to be rolling out, um, you know, kind of uh, initially in uh, Europe. Um, so we'll be all over Europe with our launch. Um, and, and then we'll be moving to, uh, to the, the U S and Australia shortly after that. I know probably there's a lot of Aussies on this call. Uh, Tom Duncan, you should all be proud is, a, is, uh, is an Aussie as well. So, um, so he's, uh, he's living somewhere, somewhere near, uh, near, uh, the Sunshine Coast, uh, for, right. for those of you, I'm sure you all know where that is, um. And so there's, there's kind of two or three core executives in, in uh, sunny coast. And then, uh, and then some folks in Argentina, some folks in Europe, some folks in the States. Very good. 
Well, thank you, Edward. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the call and thank you, Gina, for pointing this out. And, uh, and yeah, it would be great to sort of catch up um, at a later and, and, um, and also meet with Tom. Yes, that's just up the road from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah, um, spoke to a, him. He's a hoot. Oh, mm -hmm. sorry. Go ahead, Gina. I spoke to him um, when I did that quantum money thing that I told you about and he wants and I said oh you have to meet Christine and um, I said she's doing uh, this call but she'll probably have you on for a podcast so I've already set a podcast up for you all right there you go totally <laughs> yeah thank you Edward um, so we're going to shift to Gail Gail is one of um, and she did the masterclass last time around um, I've known Gail for a while she um, is uh, just an incredible human doing beautiful work around the world and she is also the author of um, working with emotional health and the Enneagram I've got to do that right so that you can see it yeah <laughs> I was going to plug that whether you were or not Gail. <laughs> so Gail you have the floor you need to unmute yeah, there we go. Can't hear you, Gail. Just going to share the screen so that uh, there's something to uh, reflect what I'd like to talk about today. And in a sense, um, Christine prompted my thinking um, in a conversation we had in one of the masterclasses where she talked about how do you know that the shape is working? Um, and the answer was the community is thriving and we're attuned to the inner ecology. And I've been reflecting on that a lot in terms of um, Global Leadership Foundation and where we are and wanted to talk with you about um, who we are, what we do, and in a context, uh, hopefully present, I hope, a syntropic enterprise in, in its um, formation. So I do want to start with uh, what emotional health means for us. And while I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about how we get to emotional health, the context of this conversation is to show you the shape um, that came as a consequence of um, working on emotional health and how we're taking this concept of an enhanced state of well-being created through highly conscious choices, mindful practices and respectful for relationships and taking that across the world. It's an important context for us because that's what we're here to do. Our work is to raise the emotional health levels of the planet. And the way we do that is through our leaders, with a focus on leaders, teams, organisations and communities. I wanted to put this picture up. Um, it, it's uh, certainly uh, not in a three-dimensional shape, but hopefully if it was, we'd start to see the tetrahedron. And one of the things that's really important for us is that we're a, we're a private company. When Malcolm Lazenby, the co-founder, and I set the business up in 2003, we, we wanted to um, do something differently because we knew that a private company didn't have the sort of, I guess, the kudos or integrity um, as well around what it was there for. Uh, the experience was we both came from the private sector, was that we were there to make money. 
And yet when we started to look at the not-for-profit world, which is where a lot of our work was, what we saw were a lot of people putting out their hands or writing grant applications. And we just thought there's got to be something that we can do that allows us to, as you'll see, rob from the rich and give to the poor, but also at the same time ensure that the work that we're doing can reach. And so we set our company up um, very much as a private company with, with a purpose. Now, I think if we started again, we'd probably be a social enterprise, but that language did not exist when we were looking at who we were and how we wanted to take things forward. So we are um, still a private company. Malcolm and I are the directors of that company. Um, we do not pay ourselves fees. Uh, Malcolm and I, like all of our fellows across the globe, when the work is there, we all subcontract in. So we wanted to make global as transparent as we possibly could as um, the, the reason for that being that all of our profit annually goes into a philanthropic fund. So we committed to be able to pay ourselves and everybody's paid the same. No one receives anything different. We, all our fellows are all um, consultants in their own right across the globe. And we literally invoice our clients through Global Leadership Foundation pay um, all of our fellows, pay the, the people who work, and the profit then moves into a fund every year held by the Australian Communities Foundation. Interestingly, that profit is, um, we take 20, literally around 20% into the organisation, cover off some of the administrative costs, but literally for, since 2003, we've been building a fund one of the challenges, and I'll add the what's next as we go, is that we can't use that money outside Australia unless it gets auspiced through some sort of large charity. And so one of our challenges is to how, how do we use the money globally without setting up accounts in every country where our fellows exist. And the only way, and this is such a funny experience, the only way we can do it is to go to somewhere like the Caymans or um, the, the Seychelles. <laughs> and as soon as we say that, everyone goes, oh, yeah, tax dodge. <laughs> so it's fascinating for me to think financially that while we know we'll, we'll hold our integrity around how that money gets used, the quickest and easiest way is just to go to the Seychelles and set up a fund. <laughs> so... We love that and, and playing with that and how I'm thinking, um, Edward, conceptually, how do we, how do we link in? How do we, how do we take this money that we have and use it to raise the emotional health levels of the planet without getting stuck in this tax piece, particularly in Australia, excuse me, particularly in Australia, but then also globally. So that sense of um, what we do um, is very strongly based on uh, pro bono work, so we all understand that. Uh, low bono, um, we always talk to our clients about what the cost of the project would be or the, the work that we do, and um, we, we give them the full value and then if they can't afford that, they work with us on what they can. We never say no for those organisations that, um, that fit in the sense of where, where we want to do our work. And as I've said there, we also rob from the rich. 
um, and we're not at all afraid of saying that to our corporate clients and we've had no one yet come back and say we don't like what you're doing or we don't like <coughs> excuse me we don't like who you're giving that money to so um, we haven't had that problem yet the other thing that happens in the community is that um, we also offer a wide range of experiences outside the work we do with clients and while I don't want to go into all of those, those experiences are based on raising the emotional health levels of the planet. So the connection um, between those experiences and who we are, are in the way our three principles operate. Um, we hold three principles dearly. These are the things that guide us internally in the organisation, externally with our clients. And uh, one of the key criteria for being part of global is that you're doing the work. There is no point in standing in front of anybody and talking about emotional health if you can't see it yourself. So for us, the three principles are critical in the way they drive the organisation, the way we work as fellows um, and co-founders and the way that uh, we engage with our clients. So working on self is very much about, we have a number of different frameworks, but we talk about above and below the line. We all know that, those days when life is good, the world is working, everything's happy, and then bingo, someone presses, one of our loved ones presses a hot button, and without a, not even a quarter of a second's grace, there we go below the line, behaving in ways that are absolutely ineffective in terms of the outcomes that we might expect. So emotional health, the three centres, if you look at self-realisation, collaboration and stewardship, for us, the three centres, so body, heart and head, are such a critical facet of seeing the whole. So when we're talking about emotional health of the planet, it's the whole. And how do we engage mindfully and consciously around the practices of being in this world and being emotionally healthy and bringing that to others. Of course, the Enneagram is integral uh, to the way we work. It's, um, it's one self-awareness tool. It's not the only one. But what we know is that if we understand what drives and motivates us and understand our impact, then we can also understand that for others and that for the planet. So working on self is the, one of the critical principles. The second principle is collaboration. My most favourite question in the world is what can we do together that we can't do apart? And frankly, if nothing more happens, when that question gets asked, at least what it's doing is it's starting to help people see that we don't do anything ourselves. We can't do it alone. We need people around us, as Christine said this morning. We need people to be expressing this, experiencing it, understanding that we can make this work for everyone. How does that look? The principles of open space are absolutely important for us. So whoever comes to the right people, Whatever happens is the only thing that could have. Whatever, when it, when it starts, it's, you know, the right time. And when it's over, it's over. And if you're not adding value or if you're not getting value, then go. And those things have been really critical for us in terms of our work with clients and the way we work with each other. So that sense of how do we achieve results with and through others. So that collaborative space is very much about self-sufficiency 
uh, we, while our clients are, are long held in many cases, building self-sufficiency, having them do the work is, um, is what we're looking for. And then finally, stewardship. The fact that um, this was a principle from the beginning, I think when Christine and I first met, <laughs> talking about this word, it, it was a strange word. People kept looking at us going, what do you mean stewardship? And we know that without stewarding this whole process, without holding the concept of emotional health at that level, nothing changes. So the influences around um, stewardship for us have been quantum think. There's an amazing couple in the States who do fantastic work around quantum thinking and we believe in abundance. We, we absolutely have no IP. We hold no IP. Everything I'm sharing, everything that's in the book, everything that we do is yours. Um, there are no licenses. We would rather people be taking it and using it because we know emotional health gets raised, even though we could say, well, somebody took it, so how emotionally healthy is that? we're going, you know what, let's see what happens. Let's not get caught in, this is our stuff. So allowing that whole concept of opening for business and then seeing what happens. It's truly amazing to see after all these years that we still don't market. All of our clients come by referral. Um, there are no client agreements. We've signed one contract in our entire 17 years with a federal agency, that was it. So there's something about being in the space of opening the door and, and seeing what's possible. See it, own it, do it. For us, again, same thing. You need to, understand, to see what, what's in front of you. You need to take responsibility for it and then do something with it. So um, I have B Corporations there. We're, we're a B Corp. And uh, Syntropic Enterprises, I'm sitting in this space with, for that very reason. So working on the world, so work on self, work with others, work on the world. Um, I hope that gives you a sense of, of what we do and who we are. And while I haven't really talked about, so how do we raise emotional health? Um, there's every opportunity to, <laughs> to go onto the website or talk to me or as Christine's identified, read the book. <laughs> so, so I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm conscious that eight o'clock is the finishing time, so. Thank you so much, Gail. If you could um, um, unshare your screen, that would yep. be great. Fantastic. That was beautiful. <laughs> I learned so much from that myself. And it's just, I, you know, how, wouldn't, <laughs> don't we want to see um, so many more enterprises like Gail has been stewarding for so long, you know, and, uh, and, um, and so thank you. Who, anyone got any quick questions for Gail before we, um, finish this conversation. The name of the book again, Gail. Working with Emotional Health and the Enneagram. And uh, I can pop that, um, just go onto the website. There's a little store at the bottom of the website you can just click on. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you have a question, Janelle? And, and Gail, I was curious about the folks in the US that are um, experts in quantum thinking. I yes, Diane and Alan Collins and their, their website is, I'm pretty sure it's just quantumthink.com. I think what, what's lovely, that the gift for me is that the conversations that they have and the conversation and masterclass that Christine's um, offered uh, just run 
they just run so beautifully together. It's, it's almost like they just mesh. Yes. I, I love everything you said. I, rem- I started my own firm six years ago and people said, oh, you should charge for referrals. And I'm like, no, that, uh, why, why would I do? So everything you said, I was like, oh, yes, thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, any more questions before we close for the for the um, for this particular call? No, we're good. So um, thank you so much, Gail. Thank you, Edward. If you're still there, and obviously, Gail. Thank you. I'm still here. Yeah. You need to connect, <laughs> and this is part of. Um, yeah, uh, this is part of what we're doing in uh, Centropic World. Is it is a, a global growing community. Um, part of our own metric of success is that that those people who are active participants in the community are all approaching a higher order of centropy or um, well-being uh, in all domains. Um, and so, um, you know, I love to see the connections, and I love these conversations because the the synergy that happens out of them is just awesome. So thank you, um, Edward and Gail, I really appreciate it. These, the, we have these alumni calls uh, every month. Um, we alternate um, from morning, um, Australian time, morning to afternoon, so we can do a, a US-based and a, and a Euro-based. Um, but they're always um, amazing. We always feature an alumni. We want to have you know, case studies out there. And so, um, and this is also a way that people can be introduced to what we're doing without it being um, you know, a prohibitive not that, that, that um, much of what we do is prohibitive to anyone joining, but um, yeah, this is a way that people can see if they like this entropic world and would like to be a part of it. So thank you, everybody. We actually are moving from here this um, straight into a masterclass. And so some of you are going to stay and others are going to leave. <laughs> and um, 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 yeah, thank you again. And it's lovely to see some lovely um, faces that I haven't seen for so long.